One of the ways that some artists are finding to make a living and support a career in 2019 is by doing house shows. The house show circuit has grown significantly in the past several years and can be a viable option for a particular type of musician. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rock Stars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we talk about house shows. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. I'm talking to Paul Price of Undiscovered Music Network. Paul, welcome to the future of what. Thank you. So we're talking about house shows today, and you run. It looks like you run something called the Undiscovered Music Network, undiscoveredmusic.net. That I do. So I thought I would ask you about what is that, and how do you get started with it? We started off as a house concert host. I've been for a little over seven years now. And being a web developer or digital marketer during the day, my, my day job, I was always looking for ways to try and get more people to come to my house concerts to advertise them a little bit more. First, I started off, uh, created a meetup group for the, uh, we're in the Atlanta metropolitan area. And there's, we have a meetup group that is about five or six of, of the local house concerts now promoting their shows there. But it kept growing and growing and eventually took on more of a national feel with uh, Undiscovered Music Network. So it's, it started off as basically a national database of shows in small venues like house concerts, but not just limited to house concerts, listening rooms, vineyards, the coffee houses, places like that. So it's been a labor of love for the last almost two years now, I guess. It's been growing. And we now have about 500 artists that are maintaining their profiles and promoting their shows on the site. And, and we're trying to build out a network of kind of enthusiasts around the country that will help maintain the content on the site. So if a musician came to undiscoveredmusic.net, what would they be able to find there? Right now, the base of the site is a nationwide database of small venues, small acoustic venues. Like I said, house concerts, a lot of churches up in the Northeast, especially do what they call coffee houses, of course, restaurants, cafes that have live music, vineyards, churches, libraries. There's a lot of small venues around the country that don't get the publicity that the big theaters and concert halls get. So it's, it's kind of like those undiscovered venues out there that, that don't get advertised very well. So we have, we have a nationwide database of all these venues and artists can go and search through and find venues to play at. We have a lot of different search criteria, such as the type of venue, the geography, of course, but also who's played there before, what type of music they specialize in. So it's, it's a nice search tool that artists can use to, to find venues that they may not know about. We also have our venues are displayed on a Google Maps interface. So it's a nice, you can look geographically using a map view to find venues as well. And do you have the contact information for the people who book the venues available on the website? Yes. Whatever's available, either online through their own website or Facebook pages or that artists have entered themselves. And is there a cost to artists to use this service? No. Right now, it's all free. Over time, we're going to be adding more features. And eventually, there might be a four-fee subscription level. But for right now, it's a free to use. Cool. That's really awesome. So what are you guys thinking about building out in the future in terms of services that you might actually want to take money for? There's two things we're, we're working on building out right now. One is 
since we have all this information about the venues, who's playing there, what type of music they have, sort of a semi-automated tool that can help artists lay out their tours. So if you're playing Nashville on this Saturday and in two weeks you're playing Atlanta, it could look in between there, find out what venues are available if they don't have shows booked yet, and kind of come out with some recommendations of you might want to contact these three or four places to play at. Oh, that's cool. And the second thing we're working on from the venue standpoint, I've been building out for my own house concert venues, is a tool that allows venues to send out invitations and collect RSVPs. Ah, so they actually know how many people are coming to the show. Exactly, yeah. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the climate of house shows in America, because it seems to me, sort of anecdotally, that this is really a growing part of an artist's business, particularly for sort of more acoustic-minded folks, you know, who are singer-songwriters who can play with just a guitar, just a keyboard, that this is like a really growing part of their income stream. Oh, I think so, definitely. I think as uh, it's part of the so-called DIY movement, as uh, artists are not signing with record labels anymore and kind of going out on their own, they're planning their own tours. Or actually, a lot of booking agents are helping them set up house shows as well. But yeah, they're becoming a big part of a tour for an acoustic artist. What have you seen in terms of your own venue? Are you finding your submissions increasing for like people who want to play shows at your venue? Well, they went from nothing or a low level to a high level almost instantaneously. (laughs) And it stayed at a high level ever since. Once I was discovered, once people knew I existed as a house concert, I started getting hit up on a regular basis by artists and, and managers looking for book shows. I think right now there's more artists looking for house shows than there are people willing to host house shows. And that's one of the things we're hoping to help is to, is to get more people involved in hosting shows so there's more outlets for artists to play at. And what have you seen? I mean, you've been doing this for six years. Have you been having the same artists back year after year or you know, do they get to a point where like if they can fill your venue, they actually move to a bigger venue in the same town? There's so many great artists out there. I try not to host the same person more than once because we only do about five or six shows a year. Oh, I see. So there's so many artists out there I'd like to come play for me. I I tend to not have people come back a second time. I've I've made some exceptions. There's a couple of people we've really loved and we've invited back for a second show. But for the most part, we always have new people come to our show. Wow. I'd say there's like a couple different types of people that do house shows. There are some people, like you said, that just start off by doing house shows and then kind of move up to the next level and start playing bigger clubs and probably won't play house concerts anymore. But there are a lot of artists out there who are just making a good living just playing house shows and they'll probably be playing house shows the rest of their life. So house shows mixed in with other bigger venues as well. But I think they'll be doing it forever. Wow. So what's your advice for young artists starting out? Because I know, you know, I run a record label and I talk to young artists a lot. And I think there's like a fear. People have this fear of trying to go on the road because they think it's going to be expensive and they think it's going to be hard, which, you know, it, it is. I'm not going to lie. But in terms of like booking shows, you know, what advice would you give them when, the, you know, they're trying to book a house show, like let's say at your venue, what, what would you advise them to do? Well, I think first I'll answer one question you brought up is, is the expense of it. One of the nice things about house concerts for artists is that it, it comes with usually a free night stay and, and free meals. So it's a very economic way for a struggling artists or upcoming artists to tour. And especially like if they come into town, like I said, we're in the Atlanta area and there's a big club here called Eddie's Attic, which is kind of the mecca for singer-songwriters and acoustic musicians. So they may come into town, play a house concert in my house, stay overnight at my house, and then play a bigger club like Eddie's Attic the next night. So it, and it gives them a free place to stay. So it can really help with keeping the cost of a tour down. Mm, that's great. When you're fielding emails from people who are trying to get booked, 
at your house shows, like, what is it that you're looking for? Like, what can we advise people to do in their email to you and other people who book house shows, you know, to make it seem more possible for them to get booked? The one thing I really look for is YouTube videos and YouTube videos that are live in front of a small audience. So not like, you know, massively produced in some studio someplace. Typically when I get an email and someone sounds interesting, I'll just go right to YouTube and kind of look them up and see what they really sound like. You don't need to have a really big, long email that talks about your entire history and, you know, your touring and all the awards you've won and things like that. Just a, a little friendly email that kind of introduces me to you and your music and links to your website so I can find out a little bit more about you. Cool. I like that because I wasn't expecting that that's what you were going to say. So that's really cool <laughs> to know that a, <laughs> like a well-produced, in fact, a friend of mine just came off of tour and she had, while she was on tour, she did a house show and she had a nice video taken of her singing at that house show. And I thought when I saw it on YouTube, I was like, oh my God, that's so perfect because it shows you with that intimate audience and it shows exactly what you want to see, which is this person is going to do well in this type of situation. Yeah, exactly. And it should be a good quality video. Yeah. So not something that's, you know, filmed on an iPhone bouncing up and down. So good totally. quality video, right? but in front of a small audience in a house show or a coffee house or something along those lines. Right. That's a good point. And, you know, that sort of just goes to the number one piece of advice that I always try to give musicians, which is like, know thyself, like know what you are, you know, like have an idea of what you are. We've been saying this whole time, like if you're acoustic, if you're a singer songwriter, if you're playing music that's going to go over well in a small, intimate venue, like this is the type of thing you should think about. You know, along those lines of knowing your audience, the house concert circuit tends to be a kind of called an older demographic. You know, it's the it's kind of like the 40 plus crowd. There are, I think, some younger series around catering to a younger audience. I mean, you're probably familiar with so far sounds too. I mean, I think they, they tend to go more of a younger audience. But in general, the house concert circuit is, is an older, more established crowd. Right. And you're going to want to know that. Definitely. If that's not your demographic, then you should probably should think about something else. Totally. I think you're right. So you brought up So Far Sound, so I feel like we better talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> They've been in the news lately, not looking so hot. That's obviously a totally different business model than yours because it doesn't sound like you guys get involved with the money side except at your own shows that you host. Whenever you have a, a burgeoning industry like this, like house concerts, like you said, are really growing, people are going to try and capitalize it. And there's lots of different approaches people are taking right now to get into this market and make some money on it. So Far's model was originally basically to <laughs> keep all the ticket money and not pay the artists. What the artists get in return is a, is a nice promotional video they can use. So there, there are some benefits. They get some marketing out of it and some publicity and, and a, a good quality video. So there are some benefits, I think, if you're starting out to use it, something like So Far Sounds. But that business model, I think, has some limitations. There's other people getting involved in the ticketing side of things. And one of the things that house concert host has to be really careful about is not to be considered a business. Mm. You know, you're, you're running shows out of your house. And a lot of times homeowners associations or towns don't look kindly on you running an unlicensed business in your house. So the whole concept of selling a ticket before the show, most house concerts don't do that. We usually don't advertise our addresses on our websites or Facebook pages. We basically say, hey, contact us. And if you're interested in coming, we'll let us know. And we'll, we'll, we'll send you more information about when and where and to get here. And we don't sell tickets. We just ask for donations. We basically pass a hat at, at each show. So we got to keep things very nonprofit oriented at house concerts. So people are trying to get into the business of selling tickets to house concerts. That's another business model. It's not going to work very well either. Interesting. So do you guys keep any of the money or does the, all the money that you guys get in the hat go to the artist? 
all of it goes in, in to the artists oh, and, and plus some. There's <laughs> definitely not a moneymaker. We spend a lot of money to put on our shows. And were you guys, I'm just interested because, for example, the the concert that I saw my friend at that I was mentioning the YouTube video was really beautiful. Like the venue looked terrific. It was obviously someone's living room, but they had really good lighting and they had a little platform for her to stand on. I mean, it looked like they'd invested some cash and a good sound system. So is that just sort of, we're sort of relying on the goodwill of the hosts to be like putting these things together and, and making them fabulous? Yeah, there are definitely different levels of house concerts. You kind of can see that through the listings on on Undiscovered Music Network. There are the professional house concert hosts or house concert venues that have been doing it for 20 or 30 years in some cases. They don't do much marketing. They have lists of thousands of people they've built up over the years that invite the show. So they don't really need to do much marketing. They're kind of a known entity. They'll attend and are, uh, participate in a lot of the Folk Alliance conferences around the country, if you're familiar with those. Mm-hmm, yeah. So there, there's like this high tier, there's only a small number of those. There's also, call them house concert hosts, or also folk societies. They're, they're more organizations that are running high quality house concerts and been doing it for years. Then on the low end, you'll have people that just maybe know the artist and decide that the artist has them to host a show and they host a show and they have no background knowledge. They have no equipment, no nothing. And it may be just you know, sitting in their living room with 10 or 15 people around listening to a show that they just host it very infrequently. In between are people like, like our house concert show. We've been doing it for a few years. We have a regular audience. We put on, you know, five, six shows a year consistently every year. And after doing it for a couple of years, we do kind of invest in it. We try to make it a little bit better. I've purchased my first sound system for give myself a Christmas present. So we have a decent sound system now. But typically the artist brings their own sound system. So I haven't needed one. It's only a rare occasion, like once or twice a year where someone doesn't have a sound system. I, I'd have to rent one. So that's why I purchased my own. But a lot of people, like you said, yeah, they'll build a little stage. They'll, uh, there's one person in the Atlanta area that actually built a little addition on his house to host his shows. Wow, that's cool. So yeah, so the, so you run the gamut from one-offs that may not do very many house concerts and don't do much prep to people that have been doing them for years and have a whole established setup. Right. Is there a place on your website, because I'm just thinking about, you know, from the artist's perspective, if you're thinking, I want to book a tour, I am the right genre, this is my right audience, but I'm worried that, like, I don't know how many people are going to come to each show, I don't know you know, about the quality of the setup. Is there a place on your website for that? Like, do artists have a chance to talk in a forum about like their experiences or do artists just sort of have to figure that out as they show up? There's no forum or discussion group yet, but I should say that's one of the things on our list to to do is to build it out. Artists that have accounts, they can log in. There's a whole backend. There's the public facing side of the site, which is more geared towards fans that are trying to find shows. Artists would log in as a backend where they have the ability to search for venues and promote their shows, things like that. When you search for venues, one of the key things that artists have, have found my house concert venue, if I ask them, how did you find out about me? The number one answer everybody gives is like, I went to so-and-so's websites and searched his calendar to see where he's playing and I called those places up. So we allow that type of searching on the site because we have the listing of the shows. So you can go through and say, let me find uh, house concert venues in Georgia where Jesse Terry has played, for instance, and it'll pop up that list. So that's kind of a way of filtering the, the venues to find ones that you may or may not want to contact. The other thing is, since house concerts, they're fleeting. As, you know, Somebody may host a show, one or two shows, and then not host any shows for a couple of years, and maybe pop back in a couple of years later. So you don't know, if you have a, a listing of house concerts, you may not know whether they're really active or not, whether they're still hosting shows. So one of the, one of the ways we do that also for searching is to 
limit the search results to only venues that have had a show in the last six months or have one scheduled in the future. So there's ways of filtering the house concert list to say these are good prospects and these may not be good prospects without actually having like a discussion forum. We try to add some artificial intelligence, I guess, tools to, to help artists figure out where might be a good place to play. Awesome. Do you have any other further advice for artists? Obviously, if they're making money by passing a hat, then it's hard to say how much money they can expect to make per show. But is there like a minimum or something that they can expect or anything like that? The industry standard out there is that to ask for $20 a guest. One thing you can do is ask the host what their typical audience is. You know, are they 25 people, 35 people, 40, 50, 70? And just multiply that by 20 and get a kind of a feel for what the pot will be. The other thing interesting about house concerts is because it's an older demographic, one, because it's an older demographic, but two, also because people want something to remember that night with, merchandise sales are usually pretty good. People still buy a lot of CDs at house shows because it's something that uh, they get the artist, artist to autograph and kind of take home as a memory of that night. I think the, the CDs actually do better than, let's say, a, a download card or some kind of digital media. Interesting. Do you, what about LPs? Do you have any sense of that? We've had a couple artists come and sell LPs and they've done okay. Hmm. I mean, that jibes with my understanding too, because the older demographic of buyers also buys CDs like from us for our artists on Amazon. Yes. So that's, you know, everyone's always like, the CD is dead. And I'm like, not quite. <laughs> it's still hanging on. But also what, what makes a really good house show is the kind of the, the back and forth. The, the, you're part of something special. It's not just an artist coming to play music and sit there and get clapped and, and walk away. There's a lot of interaction that goes back and forth with the audience. And so the audience gets really deeply involved in the night. And so they always want kind of a memory of the night as well. So the CD kind of fits that need for something to bring home with you to remember the night with. That's awesome. Well, Paul Price, the founder of Undiscovered Music, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? That was great. Thanks for inviting me. Thought of a day left to wonder 
Hiding Behind the Moon by Jeff Hansen. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to musician Amber Sweeney. Amber, welcome back to The Future of What? Thank you. Thank you for having me. So nice to see your happy face. It's nice to see yours. So today we're talking about house shows. Yes. And I wanted to talk to you because you just got off a three-week tour Mm -hmm. during which you did several house shows, Mm -hmm. including a beautiful one in Bend, Oregon, which you actually got video from. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that video footage was really great. Thanks. And also just really, it turns out, the exact right thing to do is to get YouTube footage because we just talked to somebody who books house shows and he said the number one thing he looks for when he's booking a band is a good YouTube video of them playing a house show. <laughs> yep. Yeah. How do you, how are you in this environment, this house show thing? Exactly. I'm like, I'm great. And like, show me. That's right. So first, tell me what it was that made you think, okay, house shows are going to be the place for me to play. Well, I think one of the biggest things is I'm a songwriter. And the songwriters are always looking for listening rooms. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more frustrating than being in a very loud, crowded bar and trying to tell some story about this really emotional, big, beautiful, or difficult thing. <laughs> and, you know, people just taking a nice little dump all over that by <laughs> screaming. Up at the bar, having a nice conversation. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think, you know, my my manager, Jessica, she kind of heard and both of us had had some conversations with people who were like, oh, house shows, this is a thing. And we were like, oh, well, how does that work? And the more people started explaining it to me specifically as a, as a songwriter who performs, being able to have that captive audience and people who want to discover music were like, oh, how, let, let's do that. That sounds like a great time. Definitely. And it's interesting because This person that we just talked to, he was saying that when you play house shows, you're going to expect an older demographic. Mm -hmm. But that is awesome for two reasons. One, they have disposable income. So when you pass the hat, they can actually put money in there. And two, they buy CDs. Yes, they do. Yeah. So tell me about your experience with that. You know, I feel like that audience, the older demographic, they tend to get forgotten a lot. And this is what I love about house concerts also, because they want to continue to discover music. And they do. They have the disposable income. And they remember a time when they used to do this as kids. They used to go to these big shows or they used to go to these places 
and engage with the artist. So they bring that culture with them currently, and they're just so grateful. Mm. There's such a gratitude to be able to sit down and hear the story of this artist and where they're coming from. But from my perspective, to hear and feel their stories, like that's just inspiring and motivating. And it makes me feel like I'm doing good in the world. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about how house shows are different from venue shows. Well, the biggest difference between house shows and venue shows is that you're not necessarily negotiating with a venue who's saying, yeah, we're going to take $250 off the top and you have to bring everybody in. Most people who are hosting house shows, they're just music fans themselves. So you communicate with them and it's a donation. It's a suggested donation. So people come in and they can pay what they want, what they can. And that can be, you know, 10 bucks. It could be $25. And then, then yeah, they'll buy CDs. So it's, it's a really unique experience, I think, to be able to connect with these people who are like, we just love music and we want to support it. You feel like everywhere you go, like you're being championed. Mm. And these are people that want to help you. And they want to showcase you. So let's talk about how you find these shows, because that's one thing that was, you know, I was thinking about, like, if you're talking to a young singer-songwriter, let's say, and saying, you know, you should go on the road, you should play some house shows. Mm -hmm. But that person might be, like, nervous about it because they would be like, well, I don't know how many people are going to come out. I don't know what to expect. So, like, what have you experienced with that? Well, thankfully, I have a person who takes care of a lot of this for me. Because <laughs> honestly, I mean, I watch my manager, she just rips her hair out looking for a lot of these things. And what she tells me is that, you know, it's a lot of Facebook searches and internet searches and, you know, a lot of like, I mean, even when we're out and, and fans come up and they're like, oh my gosh, do you do house parties? And I'm like, eh, yes, I do. Would you like to do a house concert? You know, and then gathering that information so, I mean, there's a lot of legwork, and it looks very exhausting. Yeah. I was actually talking with her last night because she had run into this this interesting situation where she reached out to one of these house concert hosts through the networks that she has found, and they are booking two years out. Wow. So, I booked a show in Delaware for 2021. <laughs> Like, what? So, I mean, it's a lot of work. So you have to be willing to put in the time, you know? And if you can't do it, you got to find somebody who will do the research. And then, you know, recognize that these are people that are volunteering their time. So the more patient you are and the more understanding you are, especially with something like that. I mean, this is, it's not like a secret thing. A lot of people are doing this. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, more and more. Yeah, more and more. So, I mean, I say the best place to start is just finding people in your own community, grandparents, parents, aunts, uncles, whomever, and and start there and say, mm-hmm. hey, would you like to host a house concert? Explain to them what it is and then go from there. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So do you travel with your own PA? I do. Is that a new thing or did you have you always traveled with your own PA? I have always traveled with some form of PA. I mean, when you're playing clubs, you don't need it, right? right. You're It's a totally different thing, but... You know, sometimes you're in a really intimate space and you don't need it because it's like a, you know, somebody's beautiful loft and it's naturally treated <laughs> so for sound. But there's a lot of times that, you know, you're, it's a beautiful summer day and you're out in the backyard and unless you have really loud, powerful vocals. <laughs> even if you do. Huh? Even, <laughs> Let's if, put it that even if you do. Yeah. And that's nice. And there's tons of new systems out there right now that are very, very easy to use and very portable and very sonically amazing. Are they affordable? Like how much are people going to be running into? I I just bought one for around $500. 
I mean, so affordable is relative, right? Like that's something I had to save for. <laughs> the one I had before that, I think I got used for like 150 bucks or something like that. It was a Fender Passport. And now I use a Turbo Sound, like one of those like little tower ones that look like the Bose tower things. Oh yeah, I saw that. That was so cool looking. It was like very space age. Oh man, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And it sounds great. Like, yeah, you know. It does sound great. It's not like some for some people who are like, but no, I want to have the reverb and the, the EQ features. It's like, well, <laughs> if you do, then you can go spend $1,500 on one of those. Good <laughs> <Right>. luck. <laughs> okay, so basically there's a range. Yeah. So if people can afford it, they can find it. Just because yeah. that's always probably the best idea because if yeah. you show up at a house show, you often, I mean, I would imagine that, I mean, since Jessica's not here, we're just going to assume that this is what she does. Yes. Is actually talk to the hosts beforehand and find out what their setup is and everything. But still, you would hate, I mean, even showing up at a house show where they have a PA, mm-hmm. maybe it's down. Yeah, so absolutely. So having a backup is critical. Yeah. And I mean, realistically, like, you know, if you're traveling with your own sound system, you know what you sound like and you know how to work with that. So you know that you're always going to make yourself sound the best. You never know. Like, I've talked to people, because I usually handle the sound system questions. And, you know, this the one I did in Ben, the Little Ben house concert, the guy has, like, top-of-the-line QSC speakers and a great, awesome PA. I mean, I, I was like, yeah, we're not using mine. We're using yours. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, I mean, for the most part, like, they could be like, oh, yeah, I've got this, like, weird little amp that I've been hanging on to for a million years. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't work. I can't plug a mic into that. <laughs> you know, so... And you do, you do try to talk ahead about those things and have a conversation. And I mean, the best part about this is you're getting to know people, right? Mm-hmm. So I think when you sit down, like when I talk to the the people at the Little Bend House concert, you know, just, hey, what kind of sound system do you guys have? And then they're just normal people. And there's not a lot of rhetoric to get around. It's just, hey, this is what I need. Do you have this? And they say yes or no. And then they say, hey, this is what we need. Do you have this? And we say yes or no. It's very simple. And I like that. Well, like you said, you know, it's a back and forth between real people. Like they appreciate music and they're going to love what you do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're also just regular people and you're a regular person. Yes. Which is nice. Yeah. So I've also had really bad experiences with this, which you do. On Lay it on us. What? What? The worst one. You don't have to name the venue. Just tell us. Right. Obviously, the house concerts work. The hosts are the one that invite people. The other benefit for an artist going to a new area is that I don't know people everywhere. So they're the ones that basically are promoting this. So one of the ones, (laughs) the lady was like, and they usually will put you up for a night, which is super generous. Mm -hmm. Awesome. But she was like, yeah, no problem. You guys can come stay. And we showed up. And beforehand, you know, she's communicating with Jessica. Yeah, there should be about 15 people there. It's looking great. Da-da-da-da-da. You can stay at this place with us. We showed up. And... The place that we were staying looked like it was falling down. Like this was like the sketchiest thing. And as we pull up, she's like, Yeah, so the water pipe burst and we're gonna have to let you just use a porta potty. And so good luck with that. But I got a bucket of water at least so you guys can like wash your hands and stuff in the sink in this place. And we were like, Okay, this does not look good. This is Oh my god. Then she was explaining like why the building looks like it was falling down because it's been struck by lightning like a million times. What? Yeah. And we're like, okay, this is now I'm creeped out. Yeah. That's creepy. Yeah. And so that's like that was a little bit like weird. And then that was the night before the show. And then the next day, she's like, So I don't know how many people are actually gonna be here. What? Yeah. And we <laughs> were like, okay. So we have to go from this place in the heartland of America to like 
Philadelphia the next day and I'm banking on enough money coming in from this to get to Philadelphia. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I just, I don't know. And now all I, I could, I could feel it. I'm like, this is going to be horrible. Oh no. Yeah. Like three people showed up. Yay! Three people showed up. And I mean, it's defeating as an artist when you have an expectation and you're like, cool, I want to pour my heart out. But that is like three people that she had to beg. Yeah. Like she was one of the three. Oh. And then she was like, oh, you know, I'm really sorry. And I was too nice to say anything. And it was right. it was horrible. It was really horrible. But it also, you know, gave me a moment to melt down and have a nice little revelation about treat the three people like they're 3,000 people. You know, don't. Don't disrespect or discount the fact that three people came. You know, they gave us gas money. That was that was nice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They get the same show that the 300 or mm-hmm. whatever would get. Yeah. Wow. But that is rough. Yeah. I remember that from touring myself and, you know, showing up at a venue and having six people in there. And one of them is like your weird cousin or something. And you're <laughs> just like, oh, crap. <laughs> it's just a sinking feeling. Yeah. Now I have to entertain you. Great. Yeah, right. Cool. Oh. Well, clearly you got to Philadelphia. Somehow. Yes. yes. So that was great. That's good. So you're an artist who plays a bunch of different types of venues. So you play wineries, you mm-hmm. play breweries, like all sorts of sort of around here, McMiniman style mm-hmm. places as well. So you have like a wide range of experience. But, you know, would you say that at this point, like if you had your absolute dream tour, would it all be house shows or like what would the mix be like? Ooh, that's a great question. Because I've seen you at some places where it's like there's an event going on. So yeah, there's 300 people there, but they're not 100% like just watching you. I'll always take the captive audience over fighting over the noise and other things. So yeah, I think if I was going to build a dream tour, I think house concerts would be the dream tour. You know, I mean, house concerts or like theaters, you know, like places where people are like, they want- Sitting and quiet, like the Aladdin. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Totally. And I mean, I love entertaining, you know, in a way where people can get up and dance and feel good and have fun too. But I mean, I'm a storyteller and I'm a songwriter. So what I love is being able to sit there and engage. And I'll actually engage with the audience like that during the show as well. Like I'll tell them, I'm like, you guys can talk to me. Like, you don't, you don't have to like just stare at me awkwardly the entire time. Like, let's actually have fun together and, and make this a unique experience. And not every artist is like that, but I like that. And and they love it. So I, I think, yeah, I think a, a dream tour would be... Good house shows. Good house shows. Yeah, with yeah. experienced hosts. With experienced <laughs> hosts, yeah. I mean, and look, I mean, realistically for artists, there's potential to make a lot of money doing this. And not like, you know, Beyonce money, but I mean, a good healthy amount of money. And it's one of the things that artists always shy away from for some reason. And I'm like, no, you should want to be paid. And this is a great way... Because it's 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 like you're saying like people are saying I respect your art I respect what you're creating enough to offer you money so that you can continue to do this you know you can continue to make music and continue to pay your rent like well that, exactly and also I mean you know people pay the other day my family went to the movies and I was like we just dropped like thirty five bucks to like go to a movie with popcorn right <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. And I'm like, the movie wasn't even very good, but it was 35 bucks. And so I would rather go somewhere and have an experience, mm-hmm. you know, and put 35 bucks in the hat. You yeah. Know? So my point is, you're going to spend your evening being entertained somehow. You might as well support an artist while you're at it. Absolutely. Every night of the Every week. Every night. <laughs> Every night of the week. Maybe not anymore. Every night of the week, but. 
I mean, why not? So just for the benefit of young artists who are getting started mm-hmm. who might be listening to this show, like how did you get started on the road? Because I, I really think getting on the road is one of the hardest things for young artists. It really seems hard to do. It is really hard to do. And you've been a huge encouragement for me in that as well. I've been lighting a fire under your ass for years. I love it. I know. <laughs> Push has been like, uh, you need to tour. You need to tour. You need to tour. Just go. I'm like, okay. And how'd that work out for you? It's been great, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it has been really great. See? So for for a new artist, I would say save some money. It's expensive to drive around. Even if you're driving in a, a fuel-efficient vehicle, I mean, gas here is like, what, 350-something a mm-hmm. gallon? Yeah. And it doesn't really drop nationwide. I mean, it's it's like that or more. Like, we were in California and my last little tour, and I mean, we paid like over $4 a gallon for gas. Mm-hmm. And so think ahead about those things. Like it's re- it is really expensive, you know. My manager goes with me and we do a really good job of couch serving. We always find a place where we know somebody. Like usually when we route tours, we're like, okay, who do we know in San Francisco? Who do we know in Denver? Who do we know in New York or wherever? And you talk ahead with them. You know, hey, can I crash at your place for a night or two? And everybody's usually really generous unless mm-hmm. they're and then you're like, oh, sorry, <laughs> move on, somebody else. So yeah, I would say save your money specifically for the gas piece of it. Go to Costco or go to whatever place you want to shop and buy some bulk foods for the car so that you're not stopping mm-hmm. every time you fuel and then paying like $15 for snacks. Mm-hmm. Buy them ahead. We dropped, I think, $70 or $75 on road snacks at Costco and they lasted us the entire tour. Wow. So we weren't pulling over, you know, and, and just spending ridiculous amounts of money on stupid yeah, things no, like that. Yeah, that's really good. That's good advice. And then be willing to share meals, right? Like do those kinds of things. I mean, that's all the financial part of it where it's like you want to keep your expenses as low as possible because it, it costs so much to get around. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say is when you're actually out there on the road, you're going to find things that work for you and you're going to find things that don't. And don't be afraid to quickly get rid of the things that don't work, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't need to continue to try to, you know, like whether it's a song or whether it's, you know, hey, we're trying, you know, to drive 12 hours a day, you know, so we can get from point A to point B, but it's not working because we're showing up exhausted and, it, you know, I can't give 100%. Like, well, cool. Then find stopping points, you know. Don't feel like you have to just push through for the sake of pushing through. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess those are some some good starting points. And just do it. Yeah. Like, don't overthink it. Just go. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. that. For young people, it's like, they, but it has to be perfect. It has to be right. It's like, no, nope. it doesn't. Just go. Just go. Just go. Just do it. Well, Amber Sweeney, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Thank you for having me.
That was Restless by Amber Sweeney. You're listening to The Future of What. After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. Also, check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's potty mouth. It's called Girl Germs, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Emma Silvers. Emma, welcome to The Future of What. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, no, I'm happy to have you. So we asked you here today because we are doing an episode on house shows, and you have an article that you wrote for KQED Arts a couple of years ago called A New Guest at Your House Show, The Middleman, yeah. which has become increasingly relevant recently because this whole so far sounds thing has kind of blown up as a topic. So do you want to just give us an overview of the situation? When I first wrote about so far sounds, my story came out in April of 2017, and I first heard about the company because I have been covering music in the Bay Area for 10 years. A lot of my friends are musicians, and I had started hearing kind of chatter 
in the music community about what turned out to be volunteers reaching out from So Far Sounds to bands, asking them to play these shows that were taking place in houses, increasingly actually in like businesses and offices after hours and non-residential situations, but maybe we can get into that later. And they didn't pay. The whole system was people sign up. They don't know who they're going to see. From a fan standpoint, it seemed like there was this kind of exclusivity and secrecy thing they were selling. From the artist side, what they got out of it was a video. They call it a high-quality YouTube video of one or two of their songs while they're performing them live. And that was supposed to take the place of payment. So I thought that sounded kind of sketchy. (laughs) Seriously? Yeah. And in looking into it, what I found was that it's a for-profit company. It's It's a startup. And a lot of the artists, at least in the Bay Area, were not aware of that. They thought it was more of a grassroots nonprofit thing. And that helped kind of offset the non-payment factor. You know, the stories that are coming out just in the last couple of days are, you know, basically like this company has raised like $25 million in investment money. Mm-hmm. And yet your article said that the first time you get paid, you get paid 50 bucks. And I think they might've raised that to a hundred. Yeah. But still, I mean, <laughs> it's really interesting because to me, I feel like as the music business has progressed in the last 15 years, basically we've been chasing technology, right? So technology changes and then the industry sort of struggles to to catch up. And we have been doing a pretty good job of starting to monetize the different ways that artists can get paid. But what's really weird about this So Far Sounds thing is that it's basically copying the model of radio, like terrestrial radio, mm. which is like the oldest form of... big <laughs> artists over. <laughs> yeah, because this is basically saying, you know, artists, what we're giving you is exposure. And the hilarious and ironic part is what they're giving you is a video that you can then put up on YouTube where they can also not pay you what you're worth. (laughs) Right. So it's like a funny, it goes hand in hand in this hilarious way. And I went and I checked out their website and I was thinking, wow, $25 million is a lot of money if you're not paying artists, because what, you know, you have to ask yourself, well, what are they paying for? Like, what is that money getting raised for? And I'll say this, the website is fancy. So clearly Mm -hmm. the website costs some cash. But then also, you know, there's this other component, which is that apparently all the people who put on the shows are volunteers. So they're not getting paid. Yeah. It's just a very interesting little, you know, every now and then you do come across a niche in the world of music where people are just making cash for themselves. And Pledge Music, which just went under, is kind of another example. Mm. I don't know how that all went down. I believe they had the best of intentions when they started, but it is a fascinating thing because basically that was a model in which they were just supposed to be holding money in escrow for bands right. and that money was not being held. Right. <laughs> so it's just, it's just interesting how, you know, it's possible to generate a ton of money in the music industry and yet have none of that money go to the artists. Absolutely. Well, and it's interesting because I think as the number of avenues that exploit artists kind of proliferate, there's this normalizing factor where people think it's just completely standard and the way it has to be that artists don't get paid. And it's interesting to me because, like you say, you were on the website and the website is infuriating to me. (laughs) I spent a lot of time on it. The whole like bringing magic back to live music 
motto is just really gets under my skin in a special way. But the reaction that you had is one I've heard from a number of people who work in music and people who have any experience in the music industry or even like grew up going to punk shows or have spent time with musicians have a really, really different reaction from people who have not spent time in the music community, specifically like startup people. What I've heard from them is like, well, no, this business model makes sense. And there's a thing that's kind of happened that I've seen play out in a few different stories and a few different conversations I've had just locally in the music community here where it just seems like people are talking past each other. There's a lot of language that gets thrown around about like their plan for what to do with this new money they've raised is like, you know, we want to increase, let me find the actual wording for you so I don't butcher it. (laughs) Creating a space where the artist is the focal point. The new CEO said that so far would use the $25 million investment to quote, build our live infrastructure combined with our ability to be a powerful promotional platform for artists. Right. You'll see us investing in a new website. (laughs) So get ready for that. And ramping up our artist-focused team to provide artist support. We also see lots of ways to make touring so far cities more organic for the artists. So there's this thing that happens where they use so many words to talk about diversifying the revenue streams for the artist and investing more in the artist. And it makes me feel a little bit crazy because there's a very simple way to do this and that's to pay artists more. There's not some complicated problem that needs to be solved here. There's nothing being disrupted, I guess, to use the startup lingo, if that makes sense. Right. Absolutely. There's two aspects of this company that are quite interesting to me. One is that you know, if you sign up for one of these concerts, you don't know what artist you're going to see. Mm-hmm. So that assumes a fan base of people or a, a consumer base of people who are just generic music fans, right? Like they're not band specific, you know? They're just like, oh, I like music and I like the idea of being in, you know, some hip venue that's like an office by day. Yeah. And I like, you know, I'm going to like the experience. So basically, it's like they're selling the experience, which I think is really fascinating because that in itself really harkens back to radio in my mind, right? It's like you're you're selling an experience, but you don't know what you're going to get. And the consumer is a very passive passenger in that model. Yeah. Consumers never know what songs they're going to hear on the radio. I mean, nowadays, things have changed because there's basically 12 songs on the radio, so you're going to hear one of those. But in terms of like new music, you know, it's like whenever a new song is played on the radio, it's it's kind of like radio banks on the fact that they just have a captive audience of people who listen to the radio, not specifically to certain artists. Yeah, absolutely. It's a new form of curation that, I mean, I think you said it best, it's very passive on the part of the listener. And I think kind of from what I've seen with So Far Sound, they're banking on the quote-unquote experience the same way people want to go to like the museum of ice cream and take selfies you know it's very social media optimized loving a band in particular is certainly not at the center of what they're selling that's kind of one of the questions that i've had about it the whole time is does it translate into actual fandom like if i see a small band that's getting paid a hundred bucks on a Thursday night in a random warehouse in San Francisco. (laughs) I'm not me in this example. Am I going to go see them when they play a club where I pay 10 bucks to get in, but it's not this branded experience? Am I then a fan for life? And I haven't really seen, it's really hard to quantify that, right? Yeah. I don't know how much 
they're following up with people who go to these shows to promote the artists afterwards. I've seen some emails that say like, you know, check them out online. I don't really have a sense of how much it translates into to use their language revenue for these artists down the line through more traditional shows. Right, exactly. So we don't know that. From an artist's perspective, this is just really sketchy, A, because they're not getting paid, and B, because we don't have any feeling about whether this is actually helping their career. We've spoken on this show so far in this episode to an artist who does a lot of house shows, and she was talking about how, you know, the nice part about doing house shows is you have an audience that's there specifically to hear the type of music that you play. Mm. You're going to pass a hat and get money. And when you're an artist, you bank on it. You, you know, you need to get from point A to point B. So you really are hoping to get a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. And then you can sell merch. So, you know, the house show has a very specific role in an artist's career. And if it's not a sure thing or not a, you know, relatively sure thing, like we think there's going to be between 15 and 50 people or whatever, you know, if we have a general idea and we were here last year and we got this many people and they loved it and we know they're coming back, whatever. Yeah. You know, you can't bank on it. And so it's weird that it's it's kind of, if it's disrupting anything, it's disrupting the actual house show model because it's not doing those things for an artist. Yeah. And then there's the flip side of that, which is the bedrock of a lot of these tech startups or things that are conceived by tech people in the music space is the the sort of sad fact that there's just way more bands out there and more bands every day who are just desperate to get in front of anybody Yeah, who are sort of desperate to put themselves out there. I mean, you know, I run a record label and I know this is a fact because it's just never ending. Like there's more bands every single day than the ecosystem can support. And record labels do play a specific role in the ecosystem by actually doing curation. You know, I I mean, I'm not just going to put out every single band that sends me an email. Sure. If I did, I'd be running a very different kind of business. You know, that's a business too. You can absolutely capitalize on that. Like that's something that people could do is just like, hey, the quality of your music doesn't matter. What matters is your ability to promote yourself. And I'm going to help you in these like specific ways. And then, you know, you're going to get out there and, and I'm going to make money based on how much money you're able to raise for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's a model, too. But it is interesting because, you know, in this world, the vast majority of us are, in fact, you know, fans and actually want artists to do well and have income streams. So it is, to me, it's a very cynical model and it's really kind of shocking. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I want to go back to something you said about what they're actually disrupting is real house shows because that's right on the money for me. One thing that I heard talking with a lot of different bands around the Bay Area who play house shows. And it's interesting, like it it spans genres, right? Like house shows are a thing in punk and folk music. There's like chamber music, house shows. This isn't, you know, some kind of really small genre specific movement that no one's ever heard of. House shows are a real thing (laughs) that many have heard of and grown up going to and feel strongly about and like you said you know the intimacy I think is really special for both the performer and the fan and part of what creates that intimacy is removing the middleman is removing you know the overhead that comes with being at a traditional venue and there's a liquor license and there's a health code and all these things that come with running a venue. What's special about house shows is you take those out. So to insert a ton of overhead and also not pay artists is really 
crazy making is the only word that I keep coming back to. Yeah. It's a really interesting combination of ways to ostensibly do something new that is kind of taking the worst parts of several old things from where I'm sitting. Right. It's also really frustrating because I feel like, you know, if they have $25 million in VC capital or whatever, really they should be able to just pay the artists more. Like, this whole thing could just be easy, right? Like, yeah. And everyone could stop giving them bad PR immediately if they just raise the amount of money that they pay artists. Like, that's pretty simple. Because, you know, even if it was like 500 bucks, 500 to 1,000 bucks, artists would love to play that for that amount, you know? That would be, and that's enough to, you know, pay for gas and maybe pay for a hotel and you know, it's like there is a number that would work that wouldn't be right. insane. You know, we're not talking about $25,000 a gig. Right. The solution here is not complicated. Right. In San Francisco, at least. I'm not sure how many cities now are at this payment structure. I know things have sort of changed since I wrote the story, but I, from what I've seen, they've mostly expanded. So, you know, it was $50 when I wrote that story in April of 2017. And then in June, they raised it to $100 per band, per performance in San Francisco, which like you said, is still not nearly enough. But I, I think it does show that there is money that they can spend. They're clearly doing something with it. I think they technically only have 75 employees worldwide. Right. The rest is this sort of volunteer army. Because they're in 430 cities now. Yeah. 340, I believe, when I wrote my piece. That's a lot of people working for free. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. You know, I think we may be forgot to mention this for people who are listening, but who haven't read the article is the amount that you stated that they take in per show is ridiculous. It's like $15 a head. Yeah. And so it can be like thousands. Yeah. I think sometimes they're making, you know, at least 1500 to $2,000 per show. So if you were looking at it in terms of a traditional door split, it's like, right, right. <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. It's just not even on the chart. Right. And I raised the question, you know, why would you not just go with a traditional door split, even if it was a door split? That would make people at least feel like there was a standard and there wasn't sort of this shady math happening behind the scenes. And their answer at the time was that they couldn't afford it. Right. Of course. Well, you know, we understand why that, because if you have a CEO who has to make six figures, then you can't <laughs> afford to. Right. You know, it depends on your business plan, right? You mentioned bad PR. and. I've sort of been curious about what that wing of the company looks like because my story had some reverberations around the Bay Area. Like I was aware of the music community talking about it and a few different artists sort of took it up as a cause and were spreading the word. I don't want to take credit for that wholly. Like there was a feeling about this company around that time and a lot of people started saying to boycott them. But I hadn't been aware until this news of any real impact aside from them adding 50 bucks onto the artist payment. And I don't really know if anything happened in other cities. I do know I sort of have been perversely curious about if any criticism would show up on their Wikipedia page. Because in, in researching them, I was trying to read everything that had been written about them so far. And all I found were puff pieces. And as far as I know, for the past few years, that's still the only thing that's really on their Wikipedia site. There's no criticism whatsoever. So Right. I mean, what I found is that TechCrunch wrote an article about it, which is how I found out about your piece. That was three weeks ago. And then yesterday, HypeBot picked it up. Okay. So it is starting to get out there. I mean, this is very timely. I don't know when people are going to listen to this podcast, but at this moment, it's it's a timely conversation that's that's starting to happen. So, because okay. I think this one's a no-brainer. You know, this isn't a complicated technical issue. This is very simple. Like you're bringing in two thousand dollars and you pay the artist a hundred bucks. Right. 
doesn't work. That's not because what are you providing for the show, especially if it's like happening in some office space or something? We don't know what the expenses are. We don't know what they're actually paying for. Right. What I was going to say before is that it's totally fine, I think, to have a conversation about this because the standard for a lot of house shows is exact opposite, right? It's 100% altruism. It's I'm providing my home. I'm providing the sound system. You know, I'm I'm telling all my people about it. I'm doing all this stuff. And then I'm passing the hat and all the money goes to the band, right? So I'm saying it's not like in this ecosystem, there is not a space for like a split where like the person who is working hard to put on a great house show also gets, you know, 10% or something sure. to help cover their house expenses or whatever. There's a discussion to be had, but this is just egregious. Like this is 100% in the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> 180 degrees, as they would say. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I think the context is interesting, too, because this certainly isn't unique to San Francisco, but San Francisco right now is unlivably expensive. You know, artists are leaving in droves. It's increasingly impossible for even middle class people to live here, let alone working musicians. And a lot of people will trace that issue and the housing crisis directly to tech money. So for a startup to be raising $25 million and saying we want to be a positive force for artists and the way we are doing that is by not paying them anything is just patently insulting. Yeah, if nothing else. <laughs> patently <laughs> insulting. Exactly. It's pretty infuriating. But I mean, as you said, the fact that there's clearly a market for it, you use the word cynicism and that feels right to me. I don't, I don't know if there is an average like so far sounds fan who can be engaged in this conversation and go like, hey, have you heard of Bottom of the Hill? Have you heard of these other various venues that could actually use your support? Or, hey, have you checked out this house show series that's been going on in the Bay Area for 20 years? Does that sound like something you would like to do instead or even as well? I don't know if engaging fans in that side of the conversation is part of it. I don't think you're going to convince people who stand to make a ton of money off of artists that they should be <laughs> more fair to them out of the kindness of their own hearts, is I guess what I'm saying. Well, what's interesting is they've been staffing up. They've got a couple new people. There's just a new VP of Partnerships and Entertainment Relations was just announced today, oh. which is a guy from Spotify has now come over to so far. Uh. And the thing is, you know, I've seen this go well. For example, Vinyl Me Please. When they came out 10 or 11 years ago, whenever that was, mm -hmm. I remember thinking, you have got to be kidding me. You're telling me that there's going to be people who are going to pay 20 bucks a month or whatever it was to receive a vinyl album and a cocktail recipe? <laughs> like, are you serious? Like, that's impossible. Like, a curated experience, but they're not going to know about, right? It's kind of like this idea of like, well, I'm a hipster and I want to fill my record cabinet with records that other people are going to, you know, look at and be like, wow, you're cool. But you know something, the crazy part is Vinyl Me Please has actually become a really good actor in the ecosystem over the last multiple years because they, I think they hired the right people, they hired music people, and they actually started doing stuff with labels and distributors and, and really being a partner. And that didn't have to happen, but that's the direction that that went in. So it is possible, you know, like I said, it's not going to take that much more money for these people to actually start being good actors and it, this turning into something that's good for artists. Mm -hmm. So it is possible. That's interesting. Fingers crossed. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, the the passivity, I guess it's interesting to me. Do you think that people increasingly are looking for those sort of passive experiences because of things like Spotify playlists? Like, are we just moving back? I mean, like you said, it's not new. It's terrestrial radio. But I don't know. Is that a trend we can attribute some of this to? I haven't thought of that necessarily. Well, I, I have a quote that I always say, which is that 90% of people don't like music, which I actually believe to be true because I believe that 10% of people are rabid, rabid music fans and actually care. And pretty much everyone else, like they really like the songs that were hot when they were in college, or they really like this one song that meant something to them that they used for their wedding or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. But they're, they're largely passive music consumers. I really think that that's true. I, I don't think that's like a totally thing to say. I think that's actually borne out when you look at how people consume music, which is, I think, one of the reasons why Spotify is so successful in only two genres, mm. hip-hop and pop, right? Mm. It's like those are the largest number of passive listeners, right, that you can possibly get. But Spotify is sucking, and other streaming services, they're sucking at, like, really every other genre, mm. which is an opportunity for growth for those streaming services. You know, they can, if they start putting some money and some attention into that, they can grow their listenership, I think, considerably by focusing on stuff that's not just basically top 40. Sure. And also, you know, anything in chill, which is the other big genre on Spotify. Right. Right. So, you know, I may be a total cynic, but I, I do actually think that there is a huge number of people who want a curated lean back experience, you know, a passive thing that they can go to with their friends at night and be like, wow, that was really cool and talk about it later. Right. And they're going to pay for it. You know, they're they're willing to pay for it. So I don't think it's like inherently wrong for companies to come along and try to capitalize on that group. I just think that if music is going to be your product, you have to pay the creators. You know, that's the bottom line of everything. I don't think YouTube is inherently wrong, but I think it's absolutely wrong that YouTube doesn't allow creators to have consent, say yes or no, right? You can't say yes or no. And then because you can't say yes or no, because it's entirely non-consensual, they basically don't have to even negotiate with companies to set their rate. They just created content ID and they were like, here, are you happy now? And, you know, what are we paying you? doesn't matter. Right. Because you're just lucky we're paying you anything at all. Because you don't even get to say yes or no as to whether your content is up here. Right. They've removed all room for negotiation. Exactly. So, and to me, that's, I mean, that's a bad actor in the marketplace, right? Because if you're using people's products, you have to pay them. Because, like, what's wrong with the music? Like, why is music the only place? Like, why can't we just go to a gas station and be like, I don't feel like paying for gas today. Right. Just fill up my tank. Right. And drive away. (laughs) Yeah. That's not how the rest of the world works. So, you know, to me, that's the actions of a bad actor. So we have to worry about that. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. I think a lot about age, how age plays into this, too. I mean, I think there's sort of divide between people who grew up paying for music and people who did not, right? And it's interesting to see it cross over into the live space. If you've been, you know, using a free Pandora account, a free Spotify account, if you are used to not paying for music in any other context, this probably makes a lot more kind of instinctive sense. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what people are totally saying and have been saying. But I also think that, you know, all of those kids who don't pay for music have Netflix subscriptions and Hulu subscriptions and, 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 you know, it's like when you look at the TV set of a 25 year old, it's all sorts of different apps, right? Like all sorts of things so that they can also see Project Runway, you know, so they have iTunes and they have this and then, you know, it's like you're willing to pay for the stuff that you actually want. And you're willing, like if you're willing to pay for an experience and you don't care what band it's going to be, 
that's fantastic. Great. Someone should make money on that. But it, the band should also make a, a decent amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's very simple. Once again, not this that complicated. One. Once again, not that complicated. <laughs> we have totally solved this and we can move on. <laughs> it's interesting. I don't know if you have a number off the top of your head, but I'm curious. Someone in your position, like if an artist that you were working with asked you if they should do one of these, like what is a number that would make it worth it to lend credence and cool points and whatnot? To this company, ideal circumstances, it would be a thousand dollars, right? But I think there's lots of bands that would do it for five hundred. Mm-hmm. The standard going rate forever in the music industry for an opening band when you're opening on tour for a big band is two fifty, and everyone agrees that that's too little, right? Which is why I think five hundred is like a nice sweet spot. Okay, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Emma Silvers, it's been such a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much for being with me on The Future of What. Absolutely. Thanks for asking me. Nice to talk to you. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Jeff Hansen, Amber Sweeney, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rock Stars. See you next week.